0: I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Last week, I had the the great pleasure of uh, going to California, and that, that in and of itself was not the great pleasure because, frankly, it was hot. It was really hot there. And whenever you go to a conference, specifically, Maybe this is not just in hot locations, but uh, I've experienced it mainly. Most of the conferences I've gone to are in hot locations. Wherever you go, you can't pack because it's going to be burning hot outside. So if you have to go anywhere, you've got to have short sleeves. But they, they overcompensate for this by turning the air conditioning on so high that you need a coat when you go inside to these these conferences, to this uh, the talks. And so uh, we, we had to deal with that a little bit, and we suffered. We did. We suffered by being around some of the foremost experts on, uh, on Humana Vitae and on really just the church's teaching uh, regarding human sexuality. And my lovely bride and I had the great privilege of being invited to come to the pre-conference and speak to the clergy. Uh, there were uh, 60 to 80 priests and deacons gathered together, to hear how they can better communicate the truth of humanavite in their parishes with, uh, with compassion and yet with, uh, with determination. And so we were invited along with another couple to share the difference that humanavite had made in our life and, and how we came to understand this teaching, how we came to appropriate it, and what difference it had made. Now, you know me, I'm not shy. Uh, I have no problem talking about these topics. I, I, it doesn't bother me to talk about uh, things that maybe would make others squirm a little bit. But it was m- maybe a little nerve-wracking. I don't know that I'll let it show. But it was a little nerve-wracking to be giving this talk about humanavite in front of Dr. Janet Smith and Archbishop cordeleone and Father Luke Dysinger and all of these people that we're going to be speaking uh, to the main conference later uh, in the week. And I'm just sitting here going, this is not the time to uh, to misspeak, right? This is the time to make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row. Uh, and thankfully, all went well. So my wife and I flew down for this conference. And as we're packing up, we're trying to figure out, you know, we want to get everything into carry-ons because we don't want to pay for luggage. Uh, we not, you know, we've got seven kids. You, you, have other priorities than, than paying for a bag. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, what, what bag are you taking? What bag am I taking and how much are we going to pack? And what is essential? And I'd have to tell you that what was essential (laughs) was my recording studio, which took up my whole carry on. And I had to pack my clothes into her carry on because there's no way that you're going to put me in a room with that many fantastic speakers and I'm not going to take advantage of that. So for the next uh, next few weeks, we're going to continue these conversations that we had while I was there, where I, I waylaid a few people. Uh, last week, of course, we heard from Dr. Janet Smith, who is just one of the the foremost experts on Humanae Vitae. Uh, today, we're talking with Father Paul Cech. We're going to air that interview uh, of a conversation that we had uh, about that the church is teaching about humana vitae and how it relates to this universal call to holiness, this universal call to chastity, and, and what that looks like specifically uh, for people who experience same sex attraction. Of course, Father Paul Cech was the executive director for nine years of Courage uh, over at CourageRC.org. Uh, And that's an apostolate specifically for men and women who experience same-sex attraction for their families and for their loved ones. Uh, And so we're going to explore the implications of that today and even delve into some uncomfortable topics. And I know what you're thinking, that way there are more uncomfortable topics than this? (laughs) And there are, uh, specifically as we who have received this teaching from the church now have to wrestle with what happens when our leaders Uh, don't live up to that. When those who have been proclaiming these things uh, fall short, and we're talking specifically about what's happened with now Archbishop McCarrick. And so we we get an opportunity to explore that uh, a little bit in this episode. And then next week, we're going to be sitting down with Archbishop Cordeleon, who's the Archbishop of San Francisco. And then finally, we're going to sit down with a Benedictine monk and doctor and seminary professor, Uh, Father Luke Dysinger, as we continue and conclude that little series on this 50th anniversary of Humana Vitae. So we have a whole slew of fantastic interviews lined up uh, and already recorded for this coming month. And that's all thanks to our Patreon supporters, without whom none of this would be possible. You know, people look at me and say, okay, you work for the church and you have a large family. And so what do you do with all your free time? Because, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of that. And the truth is, my hobby is this show. I love doing this. I love bringing it to you. Uh, but there's only so many hours in a day. And so those people who support the show uh, keep us going. They, they make sure that I, we have all the resources we need as a family. They make sure that I have some time that I can set aside to do this every week. Uh, and so I want to encourage you. If you like the show, why don't you go over to our website, outsidethewalls.com, uh, and click the support the show link and look at the options. What what's out there? For as little as five dollars a month, you uh, can make sure that we stay on the air and you get extra segments. We've got one this week with uh, with Father Paul Cech. We've got one. Uh, we've been doing this about a year now, so we have nearly fifty-two, if not a little bit more extra segments that um when we finish the interview we get a little bit more extra question or two as a thank you to those people who support the show uh and keep us on the air for the cost of a, a really big latte or as uh, my my friends call it a frou coffee for for a large frou coffee you can get four or five depending on the length of the month extra segments that's like a whole extra episode uh, just for the price of a cup of coffee. So go take a look over at OutsideTheWalls.com, that Patreon link, support the show, and consider joining that community. If you're not quite ready to join that community, I've got another one over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside The Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. I want to hear from you. Tell me about your experience with Humana vitae. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Father Paul Cech, who's the rector of st john fisher seminary in Stamford, connecticut it's going to be a great conversation we'll be right back right after this you're listening to outside the walls with timothy putnam Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're continuing to bring you interviews from the Humanae Vitae Conference, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Humanae Vitae. It occurred in Ontario, California, early at the end of, uh, end of July. And uh, you can find out more information and find out uh, how to access those talks that I enjoyed in person by going to CelebrateHV50.com. We're talking today with Father Paul Check, who is currently the uh, the rector of St. John Fisher Seminary, a uh, college seminary and pre-theology program in Stamford, Connecticut. You may also have heard his name because of his extensive work with Courage, which is an apostolate of the Roman Catholic Church that helps uh, the faithful understand the question of homosexuality, both those who live with... Uh, with an experienced same-sex attraction and their family members, encouraging them and helping them to live chaste lives. And that was your talk, uh, Father Paul, as you spoke with the priests at this conference, is what chastity looks like and how we can encourage our people, regardless of their their sexual inclination, uh, is how to live a life that, of chastity.
1: Mm. Well, the, the title of the talk, Timothy, was uh, intended to be a little bit provocative in the sense of asking a question, is chastity part of the good news? Mm -hmm. And uh, for years in my work uh, with the Courage Apostolate, I spent a lot of time in similar settings talking with brother priests and other people involved in ministry. And I would often begin by saying, are grace, mercy, and peace part of the good news of Jesus Christ, raise your hand. And of course, a lot of hands would go into the air. And then I would say, is chastity
0: part of the good news? And (laughs) there would be a hesitation. And before we get too far into this, mm. um, I I grew up Protestant. We came mm. into the Catholic Church in 2011, mm. and welcome, welcome, well, home. thank you very much. Part of that conversation uh, and part of that conversion was the realization that chastity was for married people too. Yes, uh, and Humanae Vitae is, is the document that really was the final straw of bringing us into full communion with the Catholic Church. Thanks be to God but for me growing up and i'm sure for a lot of other people chastity is this i we, we we conflate chastity and celibacy mm-hmm. or chastity or continence. And, and continence and right. abstinence right uh, and so let's let's break let's out start with what that. does
1: chastity mean well so the definition i gave to the priest or offered to my brother priest yesterday was this chastity doesn't does not mean not having sex chastity means having sex in the right way mhm Now, of course, that takes uh, a little bit of effort to explain, uh, but the power to bring new life into the world and the power to become one flesh is something that uh, uh, specifies our humanity. It's something that tells us, oh, this is a human thing. Mm -hmm. So man uh, is blessedly incomplete in himself, whether man or woman, that each of the sexes uh, is by himself or herself incomplete, right? and we have that sense. Man is, and I'm speaking in the generic now, the right. inclusive language kind, let's say it that way, that man is uh, a sexual being and a fertile being, but man is a free being, mm-hmm. which is in that, of course, distinguishes us from animals. In other words, we have instincts. I'm hungry, it's time to eat. but we also have freedom. I'm in the grocery store and I'm taking a box of cereal off the shelf and I haven't paid for it yet. Therefore, though I'm hungry and I want to eat now is not the time to eat. I have to pay for the cereal first and, you know, get home and put it in a bowl.
0: Well, and, and in some ways, uh, taking this analogy a little bit further, I know that if I go to the um, the grocery store when I'm hungry, mm-hmm. I'm going to make poor decisions about yep. the kinds of things that I put in my cart. Well said. And so I'm going to eat before I go, mm-hmm. or I'm going to say, you know what, I'll go tomorrow, right. uh, in order to say, you know what, I, I need to make good decisions about my health, and yeah. I, as a free being, I'm going to recognize my own weaknesses and take myself out of temptation's way.
1: There you go, so let that, we need to deal with something very important here at the outset, and uh, let's start with the philosopher whose name was Plato, not play but right. Plato, <laughs> who lived, uh, I want to say about 400 years before Christ, And he he wrote a parable of a kind called uh, uh, the Phaedrus. And in that is a story or the parable of the chariot. And and Plato said, I feel within me as though a chariot with two horses, one pulling in this direction and one pulling in the opposite direction.
0: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Now, what Plato was describing there are... uh uh, uh, is the effect of original sin which the catholic church calls concupiscence he couldn't name it he couldn't explain it uh or its origin but he described it reasonably well okay so let's fast forward now to saint paul's letter to the romans and he writes in romans 7 the good things i want to do i don't do the evil that i want to avoid that is what i do those are the two horses
0: who will save me from this body of this body of death right? right so
1: the two we're pulling in two different directions And G.K. Chesterton, at the end of his magnificent uh, work uh, called Orthodoxy, said, how does a man who's born upside down know when he's right side up? Mm -hmm. uh, I bet the the, the female, the lady listeners probably laugh at that uh, more than the men do because they know how uh, children are supposed to be born and upside down. But Chesterton's point there is to say that when we're born, we bring with us this disoriented view of ourselves and the world because of original sin, because of concupiscence. Now, baptism, as we know, relieves a great deal of that burden, but doesn't solve it entirely. We still have this weakness in the will, and I have to be aware of that when I go into the supermarket, when I'm hungry, because, as you said quite nicely, quite uh, aptly, I will make some bad decisions.
0: (laughs) Those Oreos are going to look awfully good. good. They (laughs) are going
1: to be very tempting. So that Human weakness does not describe us, and of course, this is where we're different from mm. Protestants. Our anthropology uh, indicates that concupiscence is a weakness attending in a certain direction, but it's not sin in itself. Right. The will has got to be engaged. I have to make a choice. I've got to take the, the, the Oreos off and start eating them. Okay, that's, there's the mistake. But w- 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 these feelings that we have uh, within us, w- we can manage them. We mm. may not be able to uh, uh, vanquish them entirely but we know what to
0: do with them, and we know they don't command us. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Father Paul check and the Apostle Paul, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he talks about this. Well, Paul says, all temptation is hmm. common to man. Yes. Uh, but the Lord is faithful. He'll provide a way of escape. Yes, exactly. So that, that even built there into Scripture is the understanding that, yes, we're all tempted. Yes, temptation is powerful. And yet, hmm. if you look for it, No temptation is overwhelming. That's right. Otherwise, we don't believe in a good God. Right. And we do. So virtue
1: is that power Mm -hmm. that helps us to respond to these feelings in the right way. Virtues are often considered to be like second nature or second skin. So our nature, our soul, we have an intellect— we have a will so we can know things and we can choose things. And then we have emotions or passions. Mm -hmm. But so that's part of our nature as humans. The second nature is how do we engage those powers of the soul? So the human virtues, the cardinal virtues or hinge virtues, as they're sometimes called, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, those things specify us. Again, they describe or identify us as humans. After we're baptized, we get a whole new set of virtues which are infused, but we're also striving for them, which identifies as Christians, faith, hope, and charity. Now, chastity is a Christian virtue. It's also a human virtue. It speaks to temperance, regulating the appetite for sexual pleasure. It also speaks to justice, Mm -hmm. which is my relationship with another. You are not a means to my end, my satisfaction. But then we think of it in Christian terms, because we know that Christ gives grace and Christ himself was poor, chaste, and obedient, mm-hmm. you see? So these virtues are powers. If, if, could, could we do a little scriptural reflection? Do we have time for Please, the next Okay, let's so let's, let's do this. Your listeners are going to remember, as you do well, the scene in the gospel where a woman who's been suffering terribly for a long period of time has the resolution to get close to Jesus so that she can touch his cloak because she believes, rightly, of course, that he can heal her. So she makes her way through the crowd, and that must have been difficult because, of course, our Lord was always surrounded by people. And the modern translation of this scene contains this line and Jesus felt the power go out of him. Mm-hmm. Hmm? The power go out of him. Now, if we go back to the translation of the Bible called the Vulgate, which St. Jerome gave us, mm-hmm. the word in Latin that he uses there is virtus. Ah. Oh and in the latin the in the accusative vertutum to be specific but in the king james version this is how it was rendered and jesus felt the virtue go out of him Mm -hmm. now that seems odd to our ears right we don't want to lose virtue jesus didn't lose virtue but the point is to say virtue and power Mm -hmm. they're the same the power is given to us so that we can act and live in an authentically human or after baptism christian way Right. That's what a virtue is. So when I'm talking with a group of young people, I like to say to them, "Who are the people you admire?" Right. Now we get past all the celebrities and the beautiful <laughs> people and the people with money and all that kind of thing, and we start to describe character types: mm-hmm. generous, faithful, humble, uh, self-giving, hardworking, kind, considerate, compassionate. What are those things? They're called virtues. Right. Why are they attracted to those? because they want them in themselves. And you're made for them. We are made for virtue. Mm-hmm. So chastity is a virtue. Now let's keep on with the eating analogy, because for, for me, red wine and chocolate cake are two of the essential <laughs> food groups, okay? I can't live without them. It's but the antioxidants. Uh, th- there you go. The anti- <laughs> th- there, th- Thank you for rescuing me. You're and welcome. it's good for my cholesterol, the red wine. But if I... At the end of the day, when I'm hungry, pour myself a big glass, Mm -hmm. like a 12-ounce glass of Cabernet, and I have a big piece, a big wedge. Okay, I know I've gone over the limit. In the morning, I'm going to feel it, Mm -hmm. okay? The joy that I want from those things will elude my grasp because I have
0: reached in the wrong way the the wrong wrong time. The more we grab for the thing that we want, the more that it eludes us. It'll
1: slip through our fingers. Now, Mm -hmm. no one is arguing with the church's teaching on saturated fat. (laughs) <laughs> or refined sugar, right? But the reasoning that the church uses here with regard to good stewardship of health
0: mm-hmm. also applies to sex. Yeah. Well, and so we're we're looking at this idea of chastity being having sex in the right way. Of in course, the right that's way. going to look different for for you as a priest. Yes. Uh, for uh, an unmarried person. Yes. Whether regardless of uh, of their attractions. Yes. Uh, and for me, who's married. Yes. But there's still the obligation for me to uh, to treat my sexuality in a way that is not just fulfilling my own uh, appetites, right? But I'm honoring the people around me. I love that you brought in justice, justice to this That's St. Thomas, uh, what I owe to someone else. There you go. Even in my sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, if if we as a family, as my wife and I, if we determine that now is not a good time uh, for us to have another child, right? Uh, we have seven. They're all. Uh, Thanks planned at least 10 minutes in advance. But right now, <laughs> if it's not time for us to have another one, then injustice to her, what right. is due to her... Or to the potential child. Or to the child. Right. Then I have an obligation to uh, to order my own desires and say, you there know you what, go. this is not my priority. My priority is my wife and my children now. Yes. Uh, my, my priority as a single person uh, is to the call that God gives me, whether right. that be religious life or to a uh, marriage at a later time. Yes. Uh, I- even though I might not know that person, right. I still have uh, an obligation to them in justice.
1: Yes. I think what has happened here, Timothy, is that we have gotten the idea— that it's
0: impossible to live without sexual satisfaction. Mm -hmm. We're gonna dive into that quite a bit more just on the other side of this break as we continue this conversation with Father Paul Cech, who is the rector of St. John Fisher Seminary in Stamford, Connecticut, and the former director of Courage International, an apostolate of the Catholic Church for men and women who experience same-sex attraction and for their families and loved ones. Go to CourageRC.org. All this month, we're going to be bringing you interviews from the humanevite conference that occurred at the end of last month in Ontario, California. You can find all the archives of the talks soon to be posted for free on CelebrateHV50.com. Lots of good stuff there. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with much more right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And again, we're continuing to bring you interviews from the Humana Vitae conference that occurred in Ontario, California at the end of last month. Uh, Go to CelebrateHV50.com for more information and for archives of those talks. Find out how you can engage with with the wonderful speakers that we had. One of those wonderful speakers is sitting with me right now, Father Paul Cech, who is the rector of St. John Fisher Seminary uh, in uh, in Connecticut, Stanford, Connecticut. And formerly, you were the director of Courage yes. uh, for a number of years. Nine
1: blessed years,
0: yes. And so one of the, the central things that, of course, touches on your work at Courage, but I think also informs this larger discussion of self-control, of chastity, of ordering our desires properly, is the question of when a thing becomes sin, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think this is one of the biggest issues we face in the question of homosexuality is yes. that we use the same terminology for the inclination mm-hmm. as we do for the act.
1: You, 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 you're on something so important here, uh, Timothy. So here's another letter from Paul to Timothy, right? right. Uh, in courage, we are very careful to distinguish three things, the person, mm-hmm. the attraction, and the action. Mm-hmm. And that is a way that we first preserve the dignity of a human being. The word homosexuality itself is ambiguous. Right. What are we talking about? Are we talking about a lifestyle? Are we talking about a, set, a series of actions? Are we talking about feelings? Are we talking about a political agenda? It's just too easy, when we use that term, to confuse a number of things which really need to be distinguished, so that we don't lose the person. From the standpoint of the Catholic Church, people are not specified by or described by or reducible to their feelings. Mm-hmm. And we need to describe feelings in a couple of ways. First, we can say something rises up within me unbidden. I don't ask for it. So right. I'm, I'm, I, I feel the pangs of hunger at a given time. Or uh, in the sexual realm, uh, I can start to uh, feel a certain movement— uh, which can become physical, but f- for the moment it we're just located in the realm of the, of feelings, attractions, mm-hmm. appetite, inclination, in a certain direction towards a particular person. Right. But in that movement, yet before I make a choice what to do with that, that feeling do- is is still morally neutral. Mm-hmm. It it ceases being morally neutral when I say yes to it, and I embrace it through the choice that I make to follow it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's I'm only following it in my mind or my heart, I'm not actually doing anything, it's just I am agreeing to it, I am holding to it. Now, that doesn't mean that all feelings of a sexual nature once embraced are sinful. Certainly within uh, marriage, mm-hmm. that will not always be the case. There is the possibility of lust within marriage, right. Okay, but, uh, but strong... Uh, feelings of the spouses for each other in this way are not sinful. So we need to specify that lest people have the wrong idea about the church's approach to right. sex and marriage.
0: You know, uh, there was, uh, and I don't remember who I got this from, but there's this phrase that, that I think is exceptionally profound, that we have reduced love— uh, to to romance, mm-hmm. and we've reduced romance to sex. Yes. So we've lost any sense of of tenderness and romance, and we've lost any sense of being able to have an affinity and an affection for a person. Uh, you know, a, a, as a male walking around, all my possibilities of friendship, of of spiritual friendship, mm-hmm. are now lost because. Is this other person going to interpret it correctly? W- will I be branded in some way? Right. Is, is there going to be judgment in that regard? And so th- the whole sense of who we are in relation to one another, yeah, uh, largely because of, I think, the things that led up to humana vitae. I think yeah. that contraception has a part in this as well. Well, it does,
1: and it's confused things terribly because it removes some of the restraints mm-hmm. that were, uh, even if they were just sort of external restraints before, I don't want to get pregnant. I don't want right. to have a sexual trans. whatever. But here, you're onto something very important. And for young people, this is something that we, we, we want to help them understand. A feeling towards a person of the same sex can be understood in a couple of different ways. Right. I mean, yeah, there can be an erotic or strictly sexual attraction. Or, or there could be something that is romantic that might be uh, uh, evidence of a weak kind of masculine or feminine Mm -hmm. uh, self-understanding, or there could just simply be an admiration or an interest in something, that uh, another person, that could lead to a friendship. So we need to, I think, distinguish those three different kinds of feelings, because I think so quickly today we get to the point of I feel, therefore I am, Mm -hmm. right? My feelings describe and clarify for me who I am.
0: Well, that may not be true. Yeah, I like to say, and what I, I, I'd spent a number of years uh, helping form people for marriage. And w- one of the things that I often said is that emotions make fantastic travel guides. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Emotions make wonderful companions, but awful guides. Yes, yes, right? that's right. Uh, because emotions are fickle. What I feel today, I won't feel tomorrow. And mm-hmm. we see that some in the language, or even of, in ten minutes, right? <laughs> we see that some now in the language of gender fluidity, because yeah. what I feel today, well, now it's more of a scale than it yes. is a category. Because we have this understanding that these feelings that we're basing our identity on are, yeah. are bound to change over
1: time. And, that, and, and when someone gets trapped in feelings or doesn't have a way to measure them or understand them, then they, they start to write a false narrative about themselves. Mm-hmm. Let's use an example outside the sixth commandment. The, the boy who in elementary school or junior high gets in trouble a lot and he starts to hear the story that he's the bad kid. Mm-hmm. You know, so he does have some unruly emotions that, that that show themselves, but he is told and he tells himself, yeah, I'm the bad kid. Now, that's terrible pedagogy. And anybody who's in the working with, with children knows that, no, we're not going to put a label on you and
0: you shouldn't put a label on you. Right. Because your understanding of what a bad kid is in third grade. hmm that when you adopt that term it's right. going to be different than your understanding of what bad kid is in the 12th grade. There you go. But now that you've adopted that narrative and you've said, this is who I am. Yeah. Now you're going to live up to that expectation.
1: Yes. You, are, you, you, you have uh, put something in place that will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, could be very dangerous and it, it, it probably is not true. Mm-hmm.
0: I've had the the privilege of being friends with and interacted with a number of people who experienced same sex attraction, and either lived in the lifestyle for a while and came out, or just right. just very strongly felt uh, those inclinations. And one of the things that is almost ubiquitous in the people that I have met and I granted my experience is limited was that the first encounter with that experience, the first experience of that attraction, one sexual attraction in general is is it just incredibly strong and so you have this rush of of emotion and experience um that that's overpowering because that's the nature of of what it is but second that at the time they didn't understand it and it was confusing and it it created in them internal turmoil from that first moment yeah um but those that actually entered into the lifestyle they they had a sense of well, I guess this is who I am mm-hmm. I've heard people even even before they experienced it they heard the conversations that were being had about people who experienced homosexuality right. and it was derogatory and it was everything else and they say, well, I guess this is who I am and so then they found acceptance in that community yeah and then they grew into what was expected yeah and uh, entered into sadness, pain,
1: loneliness, misery. Uh, I know there are a number of people who have chosen that path who say, no, that's not my life. Mm-hmm. But if we believe that there is such a thing as a common human nature uh, uh, that is explained to us not just in sacred scripture, in, in the book of Genesis, but is known by reason, mm-hmm. then yes, inevitably to live in a way gravely contrary to that nature is going to produce
0: bad fruit, right. bad consequences. Now let's take this maybe to an uncomfortable place now. Mm. Um because we have the church that's teaching us this, yeah. and the, the sad truth is is that we've seen people who were put in positions of authority and in yes. positions of trust who have betrayed that and have yes. given through their lives the opposite witness to what the church teaches. Right? How are we the faithful to, uh, to, to stand firm or to appropriate or to walk in truth in light of things like the sex abuse scandal of the 2000s mm-hmm. or of what we've recently Uh, learned about mccarrick and and so forth how
1: how do we walk in that? those are very good questions and so i would answer a couple of ways one i think that the instinct in justice to get to the bottom of this Mm -hmm. is is a good human instinct and it's a good christian instinct uh of course we're a church of mercy and forgiveness but we should
0: also be a church of rightly ordered living We're, we're a church of mercy and forgiveness which is eternal but we're also a church of purgatory, yes. which accounts for the temporal damage done to sin. Well,
1: we believe in a merciful God and we also believe in a just God. Right. So that should translate into the way we're, that we're living. So I think that the instinct that many people have that we need to know who knew what when and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, I think that's a good instinct and we will have to rely on God's providence to see how that is going to uh, unveil. Uh, uh, but that desire for truth and for transparency and for justice is are healthy and good. Uh, we do always need to distinguish uh, the teachers from the teaching. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, we are carrying uh, the teaching in earthen vessels, as St. Paul says. That's not an excuse or permission to be unfaithful to our vows by any means. But it means that we can distinguish that with which we have been entrusted Uh, Whether it is through natural reason and our understanding of what it means to be human or what it means to be a Christian through divine revelation. Mm -hmm. And those truths are immutable because God is immutable. What he has taught us about himself and what he has taught us about who we are in relationship to him, those things don't change. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the body of uh, knowledge which is resident in the human mind and heart from uh, reason and from experience, as well as that we that which we hold on, on faith as custodians, those things uh, are, are not touched by this scandal. Right. Thank God, uh, because uh, Jesus Christ uh, is true God and true man. He's entrusted to us the truth, and our faith is in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a very painful time. It will be a time of purification. It seems to me that in God's providence, we're destined to have more purification because clearly we need it. Our best response is to check our own probity of life, our own integrity of life, uh, and then to do what we can to uh, be
0: not just teachers but witnesses mm-hmm. uh, of the faithful. And you know, pray for your bishops. Yes. Pray for your priests. Yes. And just in the in the last uh, thirty seconds here, what can I as a parishioner do to support my? pastor so that he has uh, what he needs spiritually in terms of support when he
1: does something that's good or helpful acknowledge it and tell him that this has been something that was helpful in my family in my life you taught me something today thank you for administering the sacraments and to the second part of it what can i do to assist you in your mission to care for souls because we have the same mission we want to get people to heaven we want to save souls and i as a member of the mystical body of christ want to assist you my pastor in whatever way i can
0: yeah. The other thing, just as a reminder, and I bring this up over and over again, invest in the young men and women around you. Yes. Say to, say to them that really maybe uncomfortable thing. Have you ever considered being a priest? Yes. Have you ever considered being a religious sister? Amen. And just maybe they'll end up in Father Paul Cech's <laughs> seminary.
1: They would be very welcome. Contact me.
0: <laughs> We've been talking with Father Paul Cech. Uh, talking about the 50th anniversary of humana join our conversation over at facebook.com step outside the walls on twitter the handles at outside the walls and go look at celebrate hv50.com for his talk and more we'll be right back right after this you're listening to outside the walls with timothy putnam Welcome back to Outside the Walls where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and we've been talking with Father Paul Check today. He is the the former executive director of Courage International, which is uh, an apostolate for men and women who experience same-sex attraction for their families and their loved ones. Go over to couragerc.org for more information. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share that with someone else, have no fear. The archive is up over at outsidethewalls.com, right up there at the very top, just for your convenience. Uh, as well, all the episodes that have preceded this, all that we've ever done, are right there online at your fingertips, including last week's conversation with uh, Dr. Janet Smith and much more. And as always, there's more to today's conversation for those people who support the show through Patreon and a little extra segment, a couple of extra questions with Father Paul Cech. Uh, You can get to that by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking the Patreon link, and supporting the show at a level you feel comfortable with. Now, uh, we're going to jump to our readings from Scripture and from church history. And this week is a really special week because it's my youngest son's first birthday he turned one on uh, on Wednesday and that happened to be the feast of Saint Alphonsus Liguori. and so this is uh, our child who has four names right three uh, first name, three middle names and uh, and the last name because why not have a whole litany of saints when you're saying your children's names So what I wanted to do today is to take our readings, Uh, both from Scripture and from church history, from that day, from Wednesday, the feast day of St. Alphonsus Liguori. And I think that it ties in really well to what we're talking about today. So our gospel comes from the gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Jesus said to his disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, buried in a field which a person finds and hides again, and out of joy goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he finds a pearl of great price, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it. And that reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we've seen this applied to a number of different things. Uh, When I came into the church it was applied to those who came from another tradition that they found this pearl of great price they found this treasure and they gave up everything to come and acquire that thing and so for us uh, who came into the church uh it was stated and i i tend to believe that we gave up all that we had known before because of the joy of what we found in the catholic church but this really goes beyond just conversion, that initial conversion of the, the non-Catholic becoming Catholic. This is the Catholic himself, you and I, becoming more and more conformed to Christ, where we give up those parts of ourselves that are not as valuable as that which we want to attain. Right? This, that's this pearl of great price. And this is the whole teaching of the Church On human sexuality it's not that we say no to all these things rather there is something so precious and so uh, marvelous that we would give up everything else just for the sake of having that thing and in this case that thing is this intimate holy relationship with god uh, to be who we were created by god to be and so uh, I think that this has very profound implications for the concept of chastity, uh, of what we're being called to. Because we are not saying, uh, "No, I'm going to give up all of these things that I have lived in because they're bad, bad, bad," and I and I just I don't like them anymore. Uh, rather, we say, "I long for this relationship with Christ, and I will give up all of these other things." just for the sake of having that. That's that pearl of great price. Again, God is not calling us to give up all of these things that are, are pleasurable and good uh, just for the sake of depriving ourselves. Uh, rather, he's asking us to give these things up so that we might have something even greater. Uh, I think about that that merchant who has all of these pearls, and he's searching for the one pearl, and pearls are valuable they are a good and the, the man who found the treasure in the field all that he possessed clothing and and uh, trinkets and things passed down from family members all of these things are good but they pale in comparison to the greatest good which we can acquire only by giving up these other things and the more we have this tight grip on all that we that we know is good, the 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 more likely it is that we'll lose out on the best. There's a, a phrase in um, uh, productivity circles, as people are uh, in the business world, they say, good is the enemy of best. right? Good is the enemy of great. That good is a good thing, but good can so very often get in the way, of, of the highest good, of the best. And so when we look at these things, at the creations that we enjoy, we have to realize that we were made for more than these momentary pleasures. And that's what our reading from Church History Today talks about. It comes from uh, the feast day of Alphonsus Ligori out of the breviary, and it's from a sermon by St. Alphonsus. And it says this, all holiness and perfection of soul lies in our love for Jesus Christ our God, who is our Redeemer and our supreme good. It is part of the love of God to acquire and to nurture all the virtues which make a man perfect. Has not God, in fact, won for himself a claim on all our love? From all eternity, he has loved us, and it is in this vein that, That he speaks to us. O man, consider carefully that I first loved you. You had not yet appeared in the light of day, nor did the world yet exist, but already I loved you. From all eternity I have loved you. Since God knew that man is enticed by favors, he wished to bind him to his love by means of his gifts. I want to catch men with the snares, those chains of love in which they allow themselves to be entrapped, so that they will love me. And all the gifts which he bestowed on man were given to this end. He gave him a soul, made in his likeness, and endowed with memory, intellect, and will. He gave him a body equipped with the senses. It was for him... That he created heaven and earth and such an abundance of things. He made all these things out of love for man so that all creation might serve man and man might in turn love God out of gratitude for so many gifts. But he did not wish to give us only beautiful creatures. The truth is that to win for himself our love he went so far as to bestow upon us the fullness of himself. The Eternal Father went so far as to give us his only Son. When he saw that we were all dead through sin and deprived of his grace, what did he do? Compelled, as the Apostle says, by the superabundance of his love for us, he sent his beloved Son to make reparation for us and to call us back to a sinless life. By giving us his Son, whom he did not spare precisely so that he might spare us, he bestowed on us at once every good, grace, love, and heaven. For all these goods are certainly inferior to the Son. He who did not spare his own Son, but handed him over for us all, how could he fail to give us along with his son all good things? That reading comes from a sermon by Saint Alphonsus Ligori, whose feast day we celebrated back on Wednesday. And of course, he was a prominent moral theologian. And so it's appropriate to to have that reading from him as we dig into the riches of Humanavite. And this is a conversation I've been having recently with a, a few people in my parish. Uh, have we lost, in some sense, the idea that holiness is a prize? Holiness is something to be uh, achieved and, and acquired, and, and is, is that pearl of great price. That holiness is not merely a set of rules, do this, don't do that, stay away from this. Rather, uh, in pretty much direct opposition to that Victorian puritanism holiness is an intimate connection with god it's saying that i want you i want this this relationship with you above all else nothing else will satisfy us and truly nothing else can satisfy us because we were made for the infinite good and no finite good, no, no, no matter how good it is, uh, anything that is measurable or finite or, or bound by time uh, and has a beginning and an end will ever fill this need that we have in our soul. Only relationship with God, this supreme good, this supreme love, will ever satisfy our desires. That's all the time we have for today. Today's episode has been brought to you by Ryan and Sarah Jepson, and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link and join their numbers. Share this week's episode on social media. Go find us there. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.